Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous 30-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that gets me a super curious. This week, honey, I am so curious about flipping red states blue in state legislatures these midterms. So I'm joined by Gabby Goldstein, co-founder and political director at the Sister District Project. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Very important subject. Very important episode, honey. Midterms are upon us. If you follow my Instagram, you just saw me post a rainbow picture of me holding a Halloween gourd saying grab them by the midterms just to give you an idea of where we are in space and time. So without further ado, welcome to the stage, Miss Gabby Goldstein, director of, founder and director of Sister District. Yes, right? Can you say about and director? Also, political director. Political yes. director, but also, I love your hair color. We're hair color twins in the sense that we're just living our best virgin lives. I'm, and I'm hopeful for the Stacey London. Oh my God, I think I, that's what I'm hopeful for too. I, I'm hoping. But I love that we're just embracing well, who we are. Hey, you know what? I mean, what's your professional opinion? Am I Stacey Londoning? I, I am. It, ups- a, no, I'm. I just. I, well, no, I just love your natural placement. I wow. think it's so beautiful. Okay, get. Fucking Jesus, Jonathan. Jesus loves us is what my mom would say, and I'm not going to... Yes, okay. So, Sister District is... Well, well, actually, I think I am going to... Sometimes I do this thing where I act like I don't know who you are or what you did, but for the sake of how important it is right now, I'm just going to... Drop the artifice. Yeah. Well, Be real. N- well, no, I just want to... You are a PhD in, in health policy. Yes. Um, so you are... Very smart. You like have been to a lot of school, but you, I mean, you're undergrad, graduate. You did. You got a doctorate. You're smart. Um, you after sixteen, you got really inspired to be active in in the world of politics. You really didn't think that you were going to do that. You now have founded this organization that is supporting women running for office in seven con- or seven states, all sorts of different levels of office. And men. And, and men. men. And don't be limiting, Jonathan. A few, a few men. Yeah. A few men. You just got to be really good. A few good. good men. That's kind of how it is on my... Can you handle the truth? I love that. <laughs> well, it's kind of... Yes. I think I can. But I kind of like that on my... um With my comedy tour, like I... In order to be like a cis heterosexual white man on this, you got to be exceptional. Because like I'm just not... I've had enough of you. You know what I mean? I, I want... I want. Give they, me the ladies. They've had their time. Yeah. Yeah. Give true. me the ladies. True, give me true. the... Give me the... I want the queer people. I want the funny queer people. I want the funny ladies. I want the... I just... I, I want... More voices. More yes, colors. More... I need a cornucopia. Yes. Um. So but basically, that's what Sister District is. Is... And how... So how did we get there? How are you the unlikely political uh, activist? And then I want to transition from that story just to give you a foreshadowing into where we're going. Then I just want to get into like your brain, your opinions, what we need to do, where we need to go, etc. Great. It's a tall order. Let's do it. It's all, kind of like the, the things. it's like the Ruby's chocolate tall, like Ruby Tuesday's chocolate tall cake yes, of orders. Like, yes, or or sheet cake. We could just oh, I sheet love cake. sheet we cake. Just sheet cake all the things. Oh my god! Right now, yes, very accurate. Lots of lots of background there. Um, I don't come at this from a, a professional background in electoral politics. I'm a bioethics lawyer, and my PhD is in health policy. You're a lawyer too. Yeah, yeah. I missed that part. I you know. were you were giving me. 
I mean, honestly, you could probably give me surgery right now, and I would trust you, even though that's not <laughs> like. But I, I feel like you could give me something. I would. I could definitely give you something. Yeah. You might not want it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so yeah. So but I, I always all of the work that I've always done is coming from a place of civil rights and and trying to um, understand the relationship between people and the state and an anti-establishment kind of very feminist back back background and approach, but never in the electoral politics realm. I was never involved in direct political activism. Because you um, more just like wanted to understand it as it, is, as it was functioning. You were just like, let me observe. Totally. And, and I mean, my work certainly in health politics is, is related to the regulation of clinical trials and when informed consent and, you know, these sorts of issues that are related to um, civil rights and individual rights but not in not in the political realm. Yeah. And so, I mean, 2016 happens and it's it's Ryan a disaster. Murphy, season it's 7 view. Yeah, I mean it's just <laughs> it's a it's it's a disaster and um and it was a turning point for so many of us, including me, and I took a hard look at the work that I was doing. It's good work, it's important work. Um but it wasn't the work that was needed at the moment. And what I wanted to do and what I felt driven to do was get into making a difference in politics directly, direct activism directly in politics. And it took a little bit of time to figure it out, what the right approach was, what the right angle was. Would love to tell you all about why states matter. But, yes, I, and we'll get there. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with that. Oh, good, Just good. So, I'm, It's preaching to the choir, but I want to talk all yes. about it. But let's keep talking. Yes, and so very quickly after the election, I met a group of women on, I call it a postmodern love story. We met on the Internet. We mm. met on a Facebook group. And this idea was hatched. Let's let's try to do a sister sister cities, but for districts. Um, we live in a very blue place. My co-founders and I, we live in the Bay Area, and um, and and so what can we do to leverage the resources and the energy in in play, in little blue dots and big blue dots and help help other parts of the country um, where we could really make a difference. So that was the the kernel of the idea started on a Facebook group. Yeah, because I've always been like, do I need to move? Back to right. Illinois? <laughs> like, do we all have to move, like, back from the coast to where we come from in order to fix this? Like, no. No, apparently. Well, I mean, that's a great question. I would love to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, the, there's there's definitely a question about whether we've self-sorted ourselves into um, the political environments that we live in. I don't think that's true. I think that gerrymandering has a lot to do with it. And so we could, I, I can't wait to talk about that. But that was the idea behind Sister District was – like sister cities, what if we were able to sister up teams of volunteers to specific strategic races somewhere else for field and fundraising support where we could really make a difference? Okay, not to like be really meta and crazy, and maybe this is like Do why it. Mayor Bear has like put us together. Mayor Bear being like our friend who books who helps me book this gorgeous podcast. But so I met this woman named Amber Gustafson in um, Iowa, in because Iowa has this fierce like LGBT uh, governor's ball, and it's it's been going on for 13 years. And the governor before the one who had been in there for a billion years, who's now like the 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 in, in ambassador to China, mm. um, 
the guy before him was like actually very sympathetic to LGBT rights and he was like a really fierce like Iowan governor and so he's the one who established this yearly uh, governor's ball for LGBTQ uh, students in in Iowa and 13 years later I got to go this past year and I got to go as like you know a host of Queer Eye and I got to meet all these amazing kids and the first year they said that it started with 50 kids and now it's at 1500 plus like there were so many kids there it was such an incredible thing but I met these three women um, all running for one was running for local senate one was running for local Congress, and then one was running for like literal Congress, like federal Congress. Yeah. But um, and I and one is named well Amber Gustafson is like now my friend, but I love Amber. She's just really fierce, and she kind of has like the model for what I think could work for um, middle American state legislatures being more blue because she's about sensible gun control. Like it's not about she. I feel like she's able to talk and reach across because she was like a hardcore Republican who like ended up oh, kind of wow. she she switched because of um, Sandy Hook. That was like oh they're literally like like we've lost our minds because she's like she has three small kids and she's like you can be you can want conservative value or you can want like conservative fiscal moments but like want everyone to have a fighting chance too like there's a way for those things to come together so anyway I'm talking about myself but I don't mean to be but I'm just saying that I've really been trying to support her I've done a couple fundraisers for her I've give I've donated my limit that you're allowed to donate to someone individually I shout her out all the time on my Twitter and on my Instagram and I really really and just I just really for whatever reason when I met her I just I know how People in positions of power and their opinions on marginalized people trickle down so far. I mean, I couldn't take six steps without someone screaming faggot at me when Bush was in office. And I know how that affects kids in junior highs and middle and middle schools. And so having people in positions of power that are advocating actively for marginalized people is so important because it lessens. It, it just really has so much to do with trickle down. Totally. Um, Totally. Oh my God, Jonathan, stop talking about yourself. But anyway, no, no, love Amber Gustafson, but I know no, how important it is to, to yeah. for state legislatures. Absolutely. I mean, and that's one of the great things is that at state at the state ledge level, you can get to know the candidates and they have the time for you. Not just you as Jonathan, but in general for our volunteers, one of the things that they really enjoy is getting to have access to chat with their candidates who they're supporting. And we constantly have our candidates Skype in to small fundraisers or phone banks. Um, we have an interview program where our volunteers interview their candidates to really learn about the community that they're helping and why what the local issues are that matter to the candidate. And and you and you can do that at the state legislative level, and you can't do that at the congressional level. Yeah. You can't get access. But it's also – I think one thing where people – you know, when we get the case of the fuckets as a nation and we get so upset about the state of things and our vote doesn't really matter, you know, states in the Constitution have such this um, unprecedented way to, like, advocate and bring issues to light faster. So being able to have people that can advocate for you and that are, like, you know, on your side is really important. And when I think about, like, places like my hometown of Quincy, Illinois, that's, like, on the Mississippi River, like those state legislatures have been held like firmly red for so long. I mean, sensible gun control is like not on the radar. It's like it's so really putting energy into knowing who is running for your state legislatures is so important because they can put they can wield in like a crazy federal government. Yes, yes, yes. I like to say the federal government is dead to me right now. Where we have leverage is at the state level and there's such great opportunities. And so some of the reasons why state ledge matters so much, why states matter so much. States are the pipeline for leadership and for policy. Half of all presidents started as state legislators. 44 current senators, 220 of the current members of the House started in their state's ledge. This is the farm team. And 
Democrats are tardy to the party when it comes to focusing on state and Are local. we tardy to the party? We're tardy to the party, yes. And Republicans Is that because been... the salaries suck? Do people just not want these jobs? Well, like, what is it? So, I mean, it's complicated. But one of the things is that it just has not been a focus of the Democratic Party. But now we have 30. Is, am I wrong? Isn't there 38 state legislators that are controlled by Republicans? Yeah, it's, it's two-thirds of the state legislators. And isn't that also how much you need to ratify a new amendment? <laughs> well, it's so you need two thirds of the states. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're one one state away or something like that from um, from Republicans being able to call a constitutional convention. I don't know that that's super likely, but what is the tr- what is true is that Democrats have not been focused on state and local and the Republicans have. They have used it as a secret weapon. They're one of their secret weapons. I, I admire the, stra- the strategic, you know, prowess, prowess, just Gorgeous prowess Honey, of the Republicans. No, I mean Mitch McConnell. How you could lack like an Adam's apple and an and an and a and a. I mean, not to you know shame someone's form, but he is truly <laughs> abhorrent looking. And and when you put how just how criminally unattractive he is next to his policies, I just. You know, it's just there's a beautiful symmetry in that, though. Right? It, it, well, you, I mean, know, you know, because it, it's, it's like shallow hell in real life. <laughs> like I am going to make you as ugly on the outside as you are on the inside, inside. motherfucker. Yeah. And also, for the record, people that say that like Donald Trump sucks dicks in hell and things to this effect. At first, when people used to say things like that about people that I didn't like their legislation, and then people would be like, "That's you know, like homophobic for all of these reasons." I'd be like, "I know, I get it, and it is." But but then I realized like why it's really messed up. What gay man is going to go down on Donald Trump? What gay man is going to go down on Mitch McConnell? Like, because even if you do look like Mitch McConnell, a gay man could fall in love with you and love you, but not acting the way you act. You know what I mean? So, like, it's not even that I'm shaming your looks. And that's why we can never give these men the privilege of calling them gay. Bitch, no, you're not. No one would suck your foul acting D like that That right now. You know what I mean? Anyway. Friends, you heard it here. Yeah. You heard it here. Um, you can also just, this, like, break your glass and just, and just yes, just take no, me. Just, I'm crazy today. No, it's fantastic. What's going on? It. No, it's so good. It's because it's, so it's of this trans thing that he said, that this, this thing that the New York Times reported on today, I'm just... I've I, about that memo that they found when they were trying to like this trans erasure. I haven't seen I'm, it. I haven't seen it. So in the news today, the New York Times is reporting that um, the Trump administration had this basically like memo circulating that they wanted to remove trans, just the trans, trans anything, transgender from a from a protected term. As like it's pr- not a thing. Yeah. Like it just doesn't exist. Like they just like want to remove it completely. It's very this remove yeah, the term. It's stuff like, is it's it's insane. It's frustrating. And, oh yeah, but back to the Republican legislature. Well, yeah. Well, so no, I mean this is state legislature. Yes. So right. And so what's happening at the national scale is horrifying, and it's it's devastating. And it's all the things we don't have a ton of leverage there. We have a lot of leverage at the state level. And when you see oh, but when did you see Overturning Roe on Netflix? That documentary. It it's this really amazing documentary. But they talk a lot about the Texas legislature legislature when Wendy Davis did the mm-hmm, filibuster yep. to, but a lot of these abortion restrictions that. Because in that 92 um, uh, landmark case, mm-hmm. where they that's when they were like, oh, okay, well, you know, it is still protected, but now states can be like, well, listen to the heartbeat, right. and you have to have, like, a cooling down area, and we could try to talk you out of your, you know, health care. Yeah. Um, ever yes. since then, like, but Republican legislatures, state legislatures have been capitalizing on that and doing all these, like, crazy restrictive 
Totally. Totally. I mean, the Republicans have used that they've taken the mantle of states' rights for themselves, and we need to reclaim that because it's absolutely the case that states have a huge amount of, of leverage and a huge amount of leeway to set their own standards and their own policies, and we need to be aggressive about doing that among ourselves as Democrats. Because California does this. California does a gorgeous job. Just in the past couple of weeks, Jerry Brown signed into law uh, a bill that our very progressive state legislature um, passed uh, related to net neutrality, another bill related to requiring women on on boards of of corporations, another one banning uh, the sale of cosmetics that have been tested on animals. This is what we can do. These are states' rights. These are progressive states' rights. And we need more state legislatures that have uh, democratic majorities to be able to pass these kinds of laws. So, and the bottom line is Republicans have been on this for many decades. And in 2010, which was right before the last census, census happens every 10 years on the zero years, the Republicans were like, well, shit, Obama's in power. Oops. Um, it's okay. Oh, okay. Obama's in power. People really, really like Obama. We're never going to, what are we going to do here? Well, it's cheap to take over state legislatures. And if we take over the state ledges now, we'll be able to redraw the maps in the next redistricting in 2011. And that's exactly what they did. They poured tons of money into state legislative races in 2010. And Democrats lost 19 chambers in one night. In November in 2010, I mean, it was a bloodbath. We lost a thousand state legislative seats during Obama's eight years. And those are a thousand people who now can't don't have the experience to run for higher office, learn how to govern at the state level and then go forward. These are our farm team, our bench. A thousand legislatures, a thousand legislative seats. We lost a thousand And not to self-shame us, but I do think that when Obama was in, I do think that a lot of people who are now so outraged at the current political state, I think that a lot of us were kind of asleep at the wheel. Because as we had, you know, a person of color as president and as we had, you know, all of the marriage equality, we had – it's just this false sense of security. And so I think that – and so I definitely think that that – that definitely, I think, happened and lent itself to 2010. And and I'm sure that those bloodbaths continued in 12 and, and 14 yeah, absolutely. and 16. Yeah. We have a really – on our website, we have an infographic that shows the red word trend of state legislatures from 2009 to the present. And, I mean, in 2009 – Plenty of states in the South, I mean, Louisiana, Mississippi, they had blue legislatures, state legislatures. And you can just, there's like a a tab that you can scroll through to see how red things have gotten at the state ledge level over the past 10 years. And I'm sure due to some natural disasters in like Louisiana, Texas over the years, some of those voters that voted the blue legislatures in have moved. But I'm sure that a lot of the voters that elected those people are still there and those voters are still there. It's just a matter of like... Gal or is Gal, I don't know if galvanizing is the right word, but just like firing them up and getting people. I, I think that there's just like a general lack of talking about it, and that I don't know if this is like new or old, but the whole idea that like talking politics is rude and like don't do it, it's too far. I, I think that that I think that's really that mindset is like has us not progressing because people just aren't talking about it. But we're also talking to, well, not we're, I'm going to take my side of the street for that. I'm talking too much. We have to take a really, really quick break. We're going to be back with more getting curious right after this. Oh my God. Honey, take a moment and just think to yourself, describe yourself in one word. Are you simple? 
sophisticated or adventurous. However you dress, the stylist at Stitch Fix can help you find your favorite piece. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that delivers your favorite clothing, shoes, and accessories directly to you. First, you complete a style profile, then an expert personal stylist will send you a hand-picked box of items based on your preferences. They even have men's and kids' boxes, too, which we love, honey. Let's get everyone, uh, you know, taken care of. Plus, I'm sure you can mix and match if they aren't, you know, in the dark ages. What if you want something from both? With no subscription required, you can pick between automatic shipments or only getting new pieces on demand. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. Plus, the $20 styling fee is automatically applied towards anything you keep from your box. We love our Stitch Fix personal stylists. I can customize my own gorgeous preferences, whether it's sizing, brand, or budget. Once you finish the style quiz and set up your ideal number of deliveries, honey, you'll receive everything from jewelry to shoes to bags, all to go with your hand-picked outfits. I love that. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash JVN and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's S-T-I-T-C-H fix.com slash JVN for an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Support for today's show comes from Rakuten. Rakuten is a free member-based loyalty program that lets you earn up to 40% cash back at over 2,500 stores. It's perfect for all your back-to-school shopping needs. Get cash back on everything from school supplies to new clothes at some of your favorite retailers like Macy's, Forever 21, Walmart, and more. And don't worry, it's always free. No gimmicks, no points to redeem. Better yet, Rakuten is so simple and easy to use. Simply go to Rakuten.com, click on the retailer you're looking for to activate the cash back, and then shop as normal. You'll earn a percentage of every purchase you make up to 40% cash back. Then, every three months, members will be paid in the form of a check or via PayPal. Sign up today at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential. And it's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you are not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time and for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Getting curious with Jonathan Van Ness listeners can get 10% off your first month with the discount code JVN. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash JVN. Then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash JVN. You can hear ad-free new episodes of Getting Curious, plus two weekly bonus episodes only on Stitcher Premium. For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com slash JVN and use promo code JVN. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Um, very simmering topics. Um, Gabby Goldstein, Ph.D., Sister District, we're just talking about the importance of state legislatures. I love that you've abbreviated that. I love a good, well-placed abbreviate. Um, so state ledges, so important. Um, I love my Amber for Iowa, and, and that's A-M-B-E-R-F-O-R-I-O-W-A uh, dot com. Yes donations, yes queen. And then it's like, what is her, that Matson for, it's like Matson for house? 
Another thing that I think just tidbit from, you know, one registered voter to another, social media for candidates, so important. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, it, it is huge. It's, it's Such important. Such a good tool. It's, it's a great tool. It's totally a great tool. I wanted to go back to one thing that you said about voters in the South and voters that might have voted for, for blue state ledges and, and didn't, you know, moving forward. One of the other things that Republican state legislatures do, once they get a foothold in, and, and really dig in and, and, and have those red majorities, they pass state laws that suppress the vote of communities of color and 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 other folks who might not be able to access the polls um, in the same way and I think disabled that, people yes exactly people that getting don't rid have of access voting to early yes. getting rid of same day registration you know purging the voter rolls all of this kind of stuff is are, are the, the tactics that Republican state legislatures use to suppress the Democratic vote and it works incredibly well and some of what we saw in 2016 in places like Michigan and Washington and um, Wisconsin were, uh, you know, where, where Hillary lost by just a little um, was very much the result of voter suppression as opposed to not having enough people going out and vote. The, the voter suppression is gigantic. People do want to vote. They just can't. We're seeing this in, in Georgia right now, right, where, where, where Stacey Abrams has done such an incredible job of, of energizing um, folks, particularly communities of color who haven't historically voted, been so engaged. And what's happening? The the Republican Secretary of State is blocking, you know, is purging the rolls, blocking folks from being able to vote. And these are tactics that Republicans use over and over again. And so that that's the other piece that I just wanted to mention was it's not it's not necessarily that there aren't enough Democratic voters out there. It's I mean, Hillary won by three mil, almost three million votes in the popular vote. But it's that um, Republicans, it, one of their most prized tactics is voter suppression. So just and that's and that is an issue that can be dealt with at the state ledge level. It is often a matter of state ledge um, comes out of, of Republican state legislatures and just to, you know, s- circle the square or whatever under the current composition of the Supreme Court with the Kavanaugh confir- confirmation. The Supreme Court is not going to help us when it comes to voting rights. That they are not interested in in the Voting Rights Act, which they which the Supreme Court gutted before Kavanaugh in 2013, um, gutted the Voting Rights Act and has has it has you know there's just been a series of decisions where the Supreme Court even before Kavanaugh has made it very clear that they're not going to step in and help. So. The only approach then is really to work at the state level, right, and, and and get more Democrats elected into state legislatures so that we can do it for ourselves. So with Sister District, who is on the state level are we obsessed with? Who yeah. do we need to watch out for? Yes. Who are we donating to? Ooh. Tell me who are we obsessed with? Yes. Oh, so we're supporting 24 candidates right now. Um, since we founded in 2016, we've raised more than a million dollars in yes. small grassroots donations for our candidates, um, about 40 candidates since we started um, – in, in late 2016. Um, on the field side, we've done uh, about 350,000 phone calls, sent 300,000 postcards to voters, about 350,000 text messages, held thousands of, of house parties, small fundraisers, all that stuff, um, knocked about 50,000 doors. So yes, this year we're supporting 24 ca- um, candidates in six different states. Um, and it's it's, a as you said earlier, a cornucopia of, um, of folks from different 
backgrounds. I'm extremely proud to be supporting uh, candidates of color, candidates from the LGBTQ community um, all over the country. And I, I mean, where can I start? I mean, we're we're support. There's a so so. As our political director, our political strategy this year, there's 6,000 state-ledge races. How do you go from 6,000 down to a couple handfuls? How do you, what do you do? How do you do that funnel? So what we did was decide to focus on a few different types of chambers. So the first are blue flips, chambers where we could flip the chamber this year. So for instance, in Colorado, in the state Senate in Colorado, Dems are down just one seat. Same in Maine just down one seat. It's 17 Democrats, 18 Republicans. We can totally pick that up this year. So those are blue flips. The second are blue holds, which are chambers where Dems have a really fragile majority, where we only have one extra seat. Like there's no, there's no, yeah, wiggle, no, wiggle, room. no wiggle room. So Washington State Senate, Delaware State Senate, we have one seat majority. Um, and then the third are what I call no chamber left behind. They're the badly gerrymandered chambers where we probably can't flip this year. But we have to make inroads ahead of redistricting, which is coming in 2021 and the next census in 2020. So that's Michigan and Pennsylvania and Florida. We got to do what we can in those states. I feel like Florida's got kind of an energized base right now. Yeah. Andrew Gillum is running. He's yes, he is. He has really done a fantastic job um, getting folks fired up for his gubernatorial race. I'm really excited about Andrew Gillum. So, well, there's one other thing that was kind of troubling me, but I feel like this is kind of one of those things of, like, do you even bring it up? Because, like, how do you ever really get to fixing this? But it's just, I guess we can kind of briefly touch on it because I think it's interesting, and then I want to get more into the solution. But my mom was telling me essentially how, like, you know, in the Senate, in our federal Senate, when you have, when each state has, like, two places or whatever— and then you have states that are like, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, overwhelmingly white. You know, They no- get the same amount of senators as we do? Yes. Yes. Um, Problem. And, yeah. And Problem. so it very much creates this, like, it's this white suppression of, like, all of these voices. And not only that, it's partially, like, and also, like, a District of Columbia and also Puerto Rico, yeah, like, are largely people vote, of color. No. They don't get any vote in it, but they're subjected to, like, all of its laws, all of its requirements, which when you think about, like, how we as a country were started, it's so fundamentally unconstitutional to have, you know, s- the taxation without the representation, and, and it's just... Great license plates, though. Great license plates. Great license plates. Yeah. Um, but that's crazy to me, and, and I think that adding those two into statehood would add a little bit more of it would it would be a place to start and also like that's not my idea like I directly took that from this article that my mom sent me that was explaining this whole thing um but yeah, I mean, what do you what yeah. do we even do about that? Yeah, I mean, so that that's that's a very interesting question. I mean, I I think that we should totally be exploring statehood for DC. I think that the I mean, license plates aside, it's it's a it's an issue. Um, but I mean, in terms of the Senate, it's interesting, right? Like when we when the nation was founded, there was not you know the the states were not did not have this kind of um, gap or delta in terms of population, right? I mean, so you have a place so to today. I mean, Wyoming, what do they have? Half a million people in the state of Wyoming gets the same number of senators as California, which has 38 million people in this state. Um, it's not particularly representative, right? We're not we're not doing that. Um, I that I may be an intractable issue that I, I mean, I don't know how how you address that. But I do think that on in the House side, there's a lot that we can do to make sure that that our representation um, makes sense, given given the population that we have in various parts of the country, and all the rest. I mean, what we have now is Congress is terribly 
gerrymandered, right? Like the, the House, the federal House, congressional districts are gerrymandered. What is gerrymandering? It's when, in this case, state legislatures draw congressional lines in a way that they get to stay in power, right? right? In, in, in a way that the legislature, we're the only industrialized country on the planet that lets their legislators choose their voters, right? Right? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and and it, it, it truly doesn't. And so when we have now we have, you know, so many Republican controlled state legislatures, they've drawn the lines in a way. That- I know there's like, just to yeah, there's like two Democratic houses that have done the same thing too, right? So, but like two compared to like thirty. Well, it's interesting. So so right. So so f- folks will some- sometimes say, well, what about Maryland? What about Illinois? Your home yeah. state? Like, don't Democrats gerrymander too? And studies have shown that that Democrats don't actually gerrymander the way that Republicans do. They they may they have historically drawn lines in a way that may favor them, but not nearly as much. Yeah, they don't do nearly, like they don't do they like don't do racial gerrymandering. Right. right, like they don't they don't. There's they don't like a cute obtuse. <laughs> acute obtuse angle shaped like you know right. like an octopus that's like this is totally normal it's 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 a very different flavor of gerrymandering I'm not I, you know so but but the thing is I was so, just trying to not be like blindedly biased completely agree completely yes. agree and um and yes Democrats have gerrymandered from time to time in certain ways but in a very in a different way um and so we're in a situation now where where so many state legislatures are controlled by Republicans have gerrymandered both at the state and congressional level that you get so much of the rancor and the partisanship in Congress today is a result of state legislative decisions to Republican gerrymandering at the state ledge level. And the only way to change it is to elect more Democrats to the state legislature. And now is the time because the census is coming in 2020. And a lot of the races that we're supporting this year have four-year terms, which means that whoever we elect this year is going to be in office during the next round of map making. And the same thing next year and the same thing in 2020. So now the next couple of years, but this year especially, we need to focus on state-led, you know, getting more Democrats elected to state-led so that we can draw better maps, not gerrymandered maps. Just fair. Yes, and and, and hopefully the end game really is to establish independent districting commissions like we have in California um, to take this out of the hands of politicians altogether and to put districting into the hands of independent um, citizens to make sure that we can get rid of gerrymandering forever. Thank God. So then on that edge, which is gorgeous, how do we triple toe loop, triple toe loop into... Double axle? Yes, into... um, Well, really, you wouldn't do a triple toe loop, triple toe loop into a double axle. Well, yeah, but whatever. But how do we get into the solution of... Because I think one thing that you said, you know, throwing house parties, that's one thing I didn't think of. Like, Because even if you... If you're like, oh my God, you know, I'm I want to be socially like active, but I don't leave it. Like I don't, I accidentally didn't realize how important you know my local races were. Bitch, just have a house party and charge everyone twenty dollars, and then go like Google who your local candidate yeah. is, and go give them all that cash, or find out who your sister district candidate is and support that person. But yes, I mean, so so many of the. When you look at congressional races, they cost millions of dollars, right? Like $50 million, $75 million. The races that we support have budgets of like $200,000 max. Um, so last year in Virginia, we supported 13 candidates. 12 of them won. Actually, the 13th won two. She, she was The tied. one that was the yes. straw? Shelly Simons, yes. Yeah. T- so and then the Republican one. Yes. They, well, yeah. it was, they had to pick names out of a ceramic bowl, and her name wasn't the name that got – I mean, it's so medieval. Yeah. That that's how this was decided. Yeah. But in any case – 
in several of the races that we supported last year, our sister district volunteers raised more than 20% of all of the money that these candidates raised. And some of them won by like 300 votes, 500 yeah. votes. So, so you can really have a important. huge impact. Your dollar. What if you don't have a sister district? Everyone has a sister they district. They do? Yes. How yes. do you find your sister so district? So sign up at sisterdistrict.org and you'll automatically be connected to your closest team and they'll get you hooked in. Where it's not a digital platform, it really is meant to be online to offline. These are teams of real people in real life. We have over 30,000 volunteers across the country and about 65 active teams and they get together in real life and throw small house parties, um, small fundraisers, they phone bank, they text bank together, they write post postcards together to voters. And so if you sign up online, you know, you'll automatically be sorted to your closest team and they'll reach out and get you onboarded with all the events that are coming up in your area. I love that. You're listening to Getting Curious and we'll be back with more after this quick little ad. And I think even it's like, if you have 50 people on your Instagram, 200, like it, like it doesn't matter like how many followers you have, just like talk about it to your people. Like, just, even if you, like, aren't going to do sister districts, which, like, you should because it already does the work for you, it's, like, donate to anyone. Like, have even if you have, like, three people over, like, oh, my God, you guys, like, what if we all got, like, $10 and, like, I'll just, like, mail it to, like, our local, like, whatever candidate, right? Yeah, I think it's totally, I mean, it doesn't take a lot, especially at the state ledge level. A little goes a long way. And these are, these are under-resourced races. They don't have the kind of, they're not in the limelight. You know, I think they're way sexier than congressional races. But they are because they are the ones that are passing or not. I mean, they are the ones that are deciding, like, what so many laws get passed or not passed on a state level that, like, um, kind of inspire, you know, con- or con- like federal laws. Exactly. Yes. There's such a pipeline. And in health policy, so many of the federal health policies that we have started at the state level. I mean, everything from the Affordable Care Act, which started in Massachusetts, to pieces of the Social Security Act, which started, and, and so much of the environmental standards that we have at the national level started actually here in California around emissions um, standards. So much of the EPA's current standards started at the state level and so and and that's that's the pipeline right like and republicans do this all the time they have been focused on from the dog catcher on up electing getting folks elected on on their side on the republican side who can then establish those policies and spread them like cancers to other state legislatures. Do you know about ALEC? No. Oh, so ALEC is um, an organization that somehow manages to be a, a nonprofit C3, although I don't understand how, that is um, the membership are uh, corporate interests. Oh, oh, and Republicans. John Oliver talks about them. Okay. And he, I think he does a segment about them, and, and I think he, he keep going. Yeah. Yes, yes. What yeah, does yeah. it stand for? It's the American um, uh, like ex- Legislative Exchange Council. And um, so it's just, it's corporations and Republican state legislatures, and they get together every year and they come up with some model legislation on particular areas that they care about. And then they decide, okay, well, first we're going to introduce it into this state, and then we'll get some feedback, and then we'll introduce it into this state and this state. And it's incredibly successful. And so every year, Alec has over 200 model bills that get passed into law in various different states. And that's them being strategic about the pipeline, right? And so we need to do that too. We need to be strategic about having policy that progressive policy like we pass here in California have a pipeline and and a pathway to other states and to the national stage once we come back into power, which we will. Eventually, we will come back into power. (sighs) 
it is just so cr- like we did an episode on um family separation a, f- a few months ago and when you th- one thing that's really been moving me and his makes me want to rip my hair out um and then like fist myself with it and then like jump out a window and just just be in a fucking straitjacket for the rest of my life is the fact that like Ronald Reagan is president of the United States. We had 100,000 people die of HIV AIDS. I'm not talking become infected with. I'm talking die in America. In America, 1987, seven years this man is president before he even mentions it right. on in public. His his version of Sarah Huckabee Sanders is laughing about it in press conferences while tens of thousands of people are dying and, and they are actively making sure that new medicines can't come out, that we can't do any research on it. Just suppressing, suppressing. People are dying. Then at the same time, we intervene in this Central American war, spread all like untold amounts of gum guns, AK forty sevens, like just automatic weapons all throughout Central America. 30, 40 years later, these people are still fleeing from the violence that we helped create. And now we are and 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 that's because so many people that are coming aren't coming from Mexico. A lot of the people that are and this is like not what we're here to talk about, but the United States of America had so much responsibility in the wars and the bloodshed. I mean, hundreds of thousands of little boys and girls don't have parents, like par- are orphaned because of the actions that our administrations took in interventionist policies that we took in the 80s that we have no clue about. Like, these are wars that we had, like, that, we, that they in El Salvador and Nicaragua that people don't talk about. We have no clue that, that the lives that we impacted. And these are the people that are fleeing these violence. And, and it's just the level of, like, callousness and, like, not information that we have and possess is just, it's so frightening. And the level of like just not humanity that there is. Yeah. But, and it's also that there is not a coherent strategy on the left to address some of these issues. Oh, yeah. But that's where I was going is that I think that it, because it's become so polarized, I almost get nervous now, even when I say when we can take back control, because I almost think that when you lend yourself to like, I get that when someone is coming for you and gunning for you, like when we, when they go low, we go high. It's like, oh no, we got to, I understand we need to kick them in the nuts and you have to fight fire with fire. But I don't think that the goal should be when we can take control. It's like what we needs to be is like a common consensus of like people on the right that because it's if you don't want to pay high taxes, I get you, boo. But that doesn't mean that like you should allow people to like live in squander while you are like, you know, what I mean, we, we like we coming into power needs to be like Americans wanting good for people again, not like socialist or not like, you know, so staunch. Like where is the middle ground? Like, we can have one. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting is that states have always been the laboratories for democracy, right? I mean, that's what Brandeis said on the Supreme Court many, many, many years ago. And it's really true. And so much of what we want to see at the national – but by we, I mean Americans. What, what is, oh, what is oh, Americans? Oh, we no, you see? were saying what I was saying, but I just didn't understand. Yeah. Okay, get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, no. we as Americans. Yeah, we as not Americans. Not these fucking, like, white Crazy Republican Cheetos. fuck. Yes. 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 No, I mean yeah. – so, right. But I know. It's – it's wild. It's wild. I just crazy. threw the Kleenex down. It's getting crazy in here. It's yeah. I'm going to throw this water on my yeah. face. Woo. No, but seriously, but that's exactly right, is that we can test out policies at the state level and see how they work. And when they're shown to help average people's lives, they can be – we. By we, I mean – I do mean Democrats in the sense that um, there are certain policy positions that Democrats – 
um, favor the Republicans don't. And getting back to where that really comes from, I think that there's really been a, a narrowing of the imagination on the Demo- in the Democratic side since at least Bill Clinton about what we can ask government for and what we can what the market can where the market cannot provide the protection that we need. And as someone who has studied health policy for so many years and worked in healthcare, healthcare is an example where the market cannot provide a solution because it's not an operational market. The information asymmetries between patients and hospitals and pharmaceutical companies make it an you, you can't price shop. You can't compare. It's not an operational market. And But we have been, there's been a narrowing of, of what we as Americans can can ask can ask for as citizens as rights of citizenship and part of that really comes down to um, this this uh, give and take between capitalism right and um, and the values that we think that we should have as citizens right so bottom line is that um, at the state level, we can really try out policies to see if they work to help average people's lives in, in areas like healthcare, expanding access to healthcare, education, um, all the things that we actually care about. So much of those laws and so many of those policies start at the state level. And if we can show that they work and they, they bring the rising tide raises all ships, they should – we should have a way to get – you know, what we're passing here in California. We talked about those gorgeous laws that Jerry Brown just signed in. Those should then be passed by, by Washington state yeah. and, and, and Oregon and Massachusetts. And um, there has not been a coherent strategy – among Democrats about how to get those policies that work at the state level to other states. And Republicans have had a very strong strategy about how to do that. And so that's why we see a proliferation of regressive Republican policies all over the country. They know what they're doing. I'm going to leave with this. I'm going to leave with this. And then I'm going to ask you one more thing. But this is my last thing for left because I am I'm a lefty and I love it. But I think that part of that is this disenfranchisement of people my age that are like, when we have candidates on the left, such as a Hillary or someone in that vein, it's like, well, she did something this one time. Because, I mean, when she said that Nancy Reagan was one of the, you know, the people that, you know, really headed up the fight against HIV AIDS, I was like, bitch, get it together. You know, like, know your facts. I know you're tired from all that press, but get it together. Come on. But I still had to give her a pass. Like, I, I because she said that, do I want Trump? No. And I think that a lot of times we have this, like, all or nothing thing where then it's like if that candidate, you know, has something that you don't love or he's like, well, fuck it. Well, what's the alternative? So in your state races, just remember this. Like it's, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. Like there, it, sometimes there are lesser of two evils. And as you've been witnessing the last two years, think of the people who are going to be affected by your lesser of two evils, not vote. Well, one thing I would just say about that is that what Sister District does when we identify districts to help is we're looking for 50-50 districts. We are, are we operate exclusively in purple districts, districts that are not heavily Democratic or heavily Republican. And that means that we are we, – we have this idea in mind from the Already, outset yeah, which is gorge. That, that so much of the country is purple and that we have to be able to build bridges to our communities all over the country – 
that are not deeply segregated along political lines and that there should be some values that that should resonate and be shared and be shared and so um we do support democratic candidates but we're not um but but in purple districts yeah and um and a lot of the country is is purple and and the the rancor and the partisanship that we see in congress is lar- i think largely it's not just me there's a great book by my by dave daly called rat fucked which is about this issue it's about gerrymandering and how gerrymandering has caused congress to be so partisan even though so much of the country and, is not that way and when i say like all republicans aren't racist it's kind of like how when hillary was saying like you know the 25 percent deplorable thing mm-hmm. it's like all republicans aren't racist but i think that she was right when like 25 percent or, or some some percentage of them that are also elected officials like are like they're like to their face they wouldn't be like oh i'm racist but you're super fucking racist like when you peel the onion back and like you know really talk about like why are you suppressing these votes why don't you believe in immigration like you know so I think that there is like a there is a circle of them that is but not all of not all conservatives are I think that Democrats have plenty of policies that work better than Republican policies in economic policy in healthcare access in education Democratic policies work better that's that's that is that is what my my studying of the landscape you know I as a health policy person, as a lawyer, when I look at the policies, Democratic policies have a better opportunity to help more people than Republican po- just on the policy side. And so bringing it back, we Democrats have not had a good strategic focus on how to increase those policies getting out into the co- all over the country. And that's one of the things that drives Sister District is, is really this idea that Good policies should be available all over the country. And one of the biggest venues of power for the policies that impact our daily lives are at the state legislative yes. level. Yes. Wait, is Sister District on Instagram? We are on Instagram. Love it. Where can they find you on Instagram? Sister underscore district. Got it. Okay, so follow them on Instagram. Donate. Follow them. Um Thank you so much for giving me your time. Thank you. Um, I'm so uh, just appreciative of your time and appreciative of your activism and founding of Sister District. It's such important, gorgeous work with like such good, you know, ahead of thinking. So yay. Um, thank you so much, Gabby. Thank you so much. It's yeah. so much fun. Thank you. Yay. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Benness. My guest this week was Sister District's Gabby Goldstein. You'll find links to Gabby's work and socials in the episode description of, of whatever you're listening to this show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much, Queen, for letting us use it. We love it. And if you enjoyed our show, honey, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a gorgeous review. Shout out on your social media. We so appreciate it. I also love when you guys put on my Insta story. I love it. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time on Getting Curious. It's Sashir and Nicole from Best Best Friends. Our podcast has been out for a few months. If you haven't listened to it, you should. We've already asked the big questions in life. Imagine if we could lay eggs. Okay, sure. (laughs) I guess we... Wouldn't that be funny if you could eat from yourself? No, because that's like cannibalism. Not when you eat yourself. What? Hmm? Answer listener questions. Hi, Nicole and Sashir. What happens if Sashir dies first? I mean, I've never thought of that. Well... I would be so sad. <laughs> oh no, Nicole! Nicole! <laughs> no, no.
I'm not gonna die. Take BuzzFeed quizzes. Let's pick eight foods and we'll give you a sex position to try. Whoa. This is wild. Plus, we bring on other funny best friends to talk about their friendship. I almost want to cry. I feel, I don't know why that really made me feel emotional, but. It's because <laughs> it's pure to talk about it friendship. It's nice. It's so nice. It's like so rare to like articulate it, but she's always there for me. Like, I, I think she's just somebody who. <laughs> Oh, I love this. I love it so much. Oh, my God. It's really sweet. Best Friends with Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda is new every Wednesday. On Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen. Oh, my God. To it. (laughs) 